1: And welcome to They Started It with Angelica Malin, the podcast that takes you on a journey from business idea to reality with a range of inspiring, dynamic CEOs and business leaders. I'm your host, best-selling author, entrepreneur and founder of About Time magazine, Angelica Malin. And in this series, we'll be discovering what it takes to make it as an entrepreneur. From mindset to hard business lessons with some incredible, inspiring guests. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Jelly Malin for all the behind the scenes of making the podcast. Now, let's find out how they started it. My guest this week is Olivia Ferdy, who is co founder of Trip CBD. Um, Olivia, tell me a little bit about Trip and about your role there. Um, so, I'm co founder of
2: Trip with my husband, Dan, and we began Trip about two and a half years ago. It's a sort of premium lifestyle brand that really uses plant powered CBD at its core. But broader than that, we're on a mission to help people support their mental well-being through our CBD-infused drinks and and other products. And for those that don't know, CBD stands for cannabidiol. It's extracted from the hemp plant. Um, Non-psychoactive, can't get you high, or anything like that, all natural, but really amazing to help your mind and body.
1: Amazing. I've got mine here, I'm actually actually (laughs) excited to try it. Um, So tell me a little bit about how the idea for the business came about. Super unexpected, and I
2: always struggle to do this in a short version because it's just got so many different kind of emotional pinpoints that, um, yeah, it's still kind of crazy and hard to believe even as I continue to say it now. But actually, it was just before Dan and I's wedding in 2018 when he suffered an accident playing football, broke his leg, had to have knee surgery. Seven weeks before the wedding, Told he wouldn't be able to walk down the aisle on like crutches, braces, metal poles coming out his leg, and we were desperate to find a solution. And we were recommended CBD by his brother, who was based in New York at the time, and we'd never heard of it. This is 2018, so there weren't products around on the high street. It wasn't even a buzzword, I'd say, in the health and wellness space, let alone something mainstream. Gave it a go, and on taking CBD regularly, Seven weeks later, not only was he walking down the aisle, dancing, crutches-free, I've got the videos to show you (laughs) we had longer. Um, It was so phenomenal that when we got back, we dove into researching it and learned a ton about the hemp plant. And actually, in the US, where the CBD market had been more mature, sort of coming up to 10 years old in some areas, while there were these incredible medical sort of stories and research around things from epilepsy to cancer treatments to depression and sort of sportsman's injuries was a really, really common area where CBD was used. Most people were using it for day-to-day stress and well-being. So I was working as a lawyer at the time um, in the city in London, stressed and burnt out and started trying the oral drops myself and found incredible relief for my anxiety, whether I was on the commute or just running around. And what I was struggling with was finding a product that was sort of trustworthy, good quality, accessible from a branding perspective. And um, yeah, I come from law, so it was super conservative and not exactly the environment I felt comfortable talking about this product I was using, or the packaging available often covered in sort of green, big sort of marijuana leaves and sort of more um, aggressive branding wasn't something I felt I could have on my desk when I needed it. Mm. So we quickly decided (laughs) after that, that if we could, create something that resonated with our friends and family from a brand perspective, tasted amazing, something that matched the feeling of relief we were getting in terms of the flavor and the sort of aesthetic experience. Tons of people could benefit from something like this in the way that we had felt it had really positively impacted our lives. So we left our jobs as newlyweds, Dan was in finance, I was a lawyer, told our parents that we were putting all our savings into this and going into um, cannabis together. And yeah, luckily it's gone amazingly well, but a pretty funny turn of events that I think is important to share, such that when you have a personal experience that can impact you, you don't always have to have a plan. You'd have a good plan um, on the basics, but these things are unexpected and sometimes you have to just go with
1: your gut. Just, just run with it. Yeah, amazing. Well, it's an amazing story. Um, first, I just want to ask: so, you left these kind of stable corporate jobs. Um, what was like the response from friends and family when you said you were going to do that to launch your own business? I think it's probably also important to
2: emphasise like when you have a partner or a co-founder. I think it really helps with some of the thinking around when is the right time, when is the sort of minimum viable product ready to go. I think for us, people were so excited by what we were doing. We used all our friends and family as taste testers. So we had a ton of kind of um, tasting evenings, cocktail evenings, and everyone felt I think quite part of it. And we really took on board their feedback around flavour or preferences, bubble levels, like when you get into drinks, which is a totally new area for us, there's so many different technical parts, um, which was really eye-opening and, and even people's preference on size of bubbles length of, you know, all these things. It was amazing to actually be um, doing it together. So they were thrilled. I mean, they told us they were thrilled. Let's hope so. Um, But friends and family have been incredibly supportive. I think our parents have always been really generally open minded and recognized that we're independent and they've been super supportive about any decisions sort of career wise or otherwise. Having said that, My dad is uh, Chinese Indonesian, so he did want a lawyer, a doctor and an accountant in the three kids. We got a doctor and a lawyer. And then I said, sorry, I'm out of here. I'm uh, going into cannabis. But um, no, it's been it's been really great. And actually, family has always been really integral to how we've built the business and how we've envisaged how this can support people. You know, I think of my friends and my family as our initial community and target market. And they've been part of the journey the whole way. And even So it's Dan and I, um, husband and wife team, and my brother-in-law, James, was our first employee, who's my sister's fiance. His sister came on board. My brother-in-law is one of our partners and investors. And actually, the whole thing has had this incredibly tight-knit kind of family feel from the beginning, Mm. when into the pandemic, actually, we were just the four of us in our living room for most of Trip's journey, actually, until just over a year ago. Then we actually had our first external team members join and growing the team to around 15. will be sort of twenty twenty five by the end of the year. And actually, I think that family love and respect and kind of team dynamic has been a really big part of what we're building and I hope resonates with people when they meet us and learn about the product and and enjoy it.
1: Are there any challenges that working with your family in that kind of close-knit community throws up as a business? I think people ask us a lot and I'm sure there will
2: be unique challenges because of that dynamic. I think it has only been an incredible advantage so far. We've been so fortunate. We're very close, we're all very different. I think with any co-founder relationship, it can be really helpful if you've got slightly different skill sets that you can sort of have separate areas. But also I think things have been going so amazingly and also the way people interact with Trip or they might share messages with us around how it's helped them with stress or they've given it to their cousin who couldn't sleep because of their exams or a friend of a friend who's been grieving. Um, You know, these sort of connections that we're forging on a daily basis with people are incredibly fulfilling. And I think that mission at a higher level helps us all really connect and and drive towards something together. Mm -hmm. I think I do always joke that, yeah, if you asked perhaps other people in the family over a drink, it might be a different story longer term, but actually when the business is going well, it's really, it's incredibly fun and easy, which I think is an unexpected answer. I think people expect it to be fraught with, you know, arguing and, and whatever, but it's pretty unique how we're kind of besties and working all the time
1: and kind of socializing all the time together. Um, I yeah. like that you mentioned fun because I think that's a really kind of underrated side of business people don't talk about it. I think it should be fun. Yeah. And we often think it's going to be a slog and hard work, but actually it should be enjoyable if you're doing your own thing. That's that's coming with so many additional challenges and uncertainty that you need to have that fun element. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think if perhaps,
2: you know, over a period of time or years, we had a plan to look at a product that had this perfect I don't know, um, merging of trends, and we developed it over years together with, with some specific goal in mind around, I don't know, getting listings in a certain retail environment or launching it in a place to achieve a certain commercial goal. You might quickly feel perhaps either disappointed or put out if that plan had to change, but actually because this was born out of a personal experience that came out of nowhere, and I would have happily continued being you know, a lawyer doing my thing. And um, sometimes I joke working for someone else definitely is, um, has its own benefits. But I think when it's driven out of a personal experience and a passion, it is fun mm-hmm. because that's what keeps you together rather than we said we were gonna do this thing and we said we would launch it here and make X sales. Why haven't we done that? Whereas this is just kind of, it's not unplanned, it's not, but it's very open. And these people, these millions of consumers who we've introduced to CBD through Trip, weren't consuming CBD before. We're very open-minded about how they might be feeling, when they might be reaching for this sort of product, their feedback. And I think that approach translates to the whole business. I'm not a drinks expert from whatever, how many years in a big drinks company, and the rest of the team also has that more, no one's done this before, let's give it a go. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, where some of the fun and the playfulness comes in throughout all the touch points of the brand. So the way that it works with your body is such that we wanna help more and more people enjoy this sort of product and not having a business plan. I think it comes into CBD because historically it hasn't been the most regulated space. So what that means is we're going onto shelves or we're going into shops that didn't stock this product before. So you might have a plan around, I want to go through this channel or build this in retail or build this in gyms or build this in a, I don't know, beauty channel. But actually regulation has meant that historically those weren't necessarily available. So if you had a plan, you really do need to react to those things opening up, if that makes sense. Mm. Because if I take Sainsbury's as an example, while we're in places like Selfridges, Liberty's, Soar House, you can find our products in Sainsbury's. You know, our vision is to create the most accessible and inclusive route for people to try plant-powered CBD. And in Sainsbury's there weren't C B D products before. So we've they've been an incredible partner where we've worked with them, supported sort of wider education in the category, bearing in mind this sort of product didn't exist and these people consuming it weren't consuming it before. But selling the drinks in a fridge where you'd expect to find drinks, finding multi-packs together with beers and alcohol-free options at the back of a store, and then the stronger tincture products in the well-being aisle next to a broca. These are all new formats. So, actually, having a plan... It's hard to explain what I mean. You, it didn't exist before, so you're kind of inventing it from scratch, mm. that this tincture product should sit on a shelf next to bath bombs or next to Barocca. There wasn't a product you could point to in the CBD space and say, well, that's where they went, so the business plan should mirror that distribution strategy. It just
1: wasn't
2: there. Literally, like, almost writing it and really working closely with partners who trust us to create shelves and new spaces it should be. Mm -hmm. There hadn't been a CBD drink in Equinox gyms before. Mm -hmm. There had never been a CBD product in Sewer House before. And now, our CBD tinctures are on every bedside in every hotel. We joke, replacing the Bible, you know, (laughs) helping you get that good night's sleep. So it's all quite uncharted. Um, If I started again from today, I'd definitely be able to write probably more of a plan Mm -hmm. because We've actually opened up these channels if that makes sense Mm,
1: which is what makes it really exciting because anything is kind of open to you as well yeah they're not being a brand there before means that you're actually creating this space for yourself
2: or the person who whether it's a stressed out mum on the school run who's about to pick up a car full of screaming kids and is like i just need that cbd drink in my drinks holder in the car or it's um i don't know a young guy at uni or girl who has decided they want to try not drinking a couple of nights a week or for a big night out. These are new moments for these people. So where we need to be to be available for them to reach out and grab it or buy it is also changing. And that's something that's very humbling, I think, around how the landscape is is developing. Also super exciting.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's also like good timing because I feel like the l- low alcohol Yeah kind of like sober curious yeah. movement has just taken off in the last few years of more and more people actually choosing for non-alcoholic options like on a night out. Totally. And I think with the pandemic that really shifted people's relationship with alcohol. I think a lot of people,
2: myself included, were drinking more in lockdown one. And when you're stuck at home, you're very sensitive to the environment and you realize you really I felt more mm-hmm. how alcohol was affecting me mm-hmm. whereas historically so busy beforehand in that classic urban way that you'd be out for a leaving do or a birthday, have a lot of drinks, go back to work the next day, and then you'd be out the next night and not really think about how it had affected you perhaps, including that sort of hamster wheel. But I think there's a ton of people who've been reassessing their relationship with alcohol. And I think what I'm excited about for CBD is because it can help people, you know, within 10 minutes of drinking a can, I get that reset. I get that sort of... It's nothing dramatic, but it's a slight softening of racing thoughts. And I think for people who are looking for something instead of alcohol, first of all, there's way more interesting, delicious products out there now than I think they were five years ago, which is brilliant because compromising on taste is one of the major obstacles for changing what you're consuming. And then the fact that people could feel something, not like a coffee or an alcoholic drink because they do different things, but you might reach for a coffee or an alcoholic drink for a specific purpose to relax you, to wake you up. And the idea of positioning CBD as an alcohol alternative can also offer that kind of reset, reduction in social anxiety, help you feel more happy and confident, but mm. without the alcohol.
1: Yeah, that's because you're, you're reaching for alcohol to feel something, are Yeah, you? for nice me, it's nice. often that first sip of wine
2: is to relax. And then sometimes it's to sort of feel a bit more I don't know. Loose. Yeah, confident, chitty-chatty, especially if you're coming straight from something that wait, maybe yeah. you're head down, you're at work, you're rushing around. So yeah, I, I definitely um, get that from CBD now, which is a nice relief. Not mm. to say I don't mix it with um, alcohol as well, because CBD But cocktails. you were telling me
1: before that there's lots of cocktails that you're doing yeah. like, in London with yeah. CBD.
2: Yeah, you've got to give it a go. We, we joke, it's like happy drunk.
1: So I want to go back a little bit um, to the start of the journey. So. You had this idea with your husband to to launch this business and decided to quit your jobs. How did you take it from an idea to actually creating a physical product? What did that process look like? What I will say is
2: I'm glad I didn't know what it would take. I think if someone presented me with a list, what would have been helpful maybe is a list of how to do it um, step by step. Thankfully, I didn't have that in some respects because it meant that we just went for it sort of guns blazing. So when we're talking about the drinks or the tinctures, you need a production partner. So we'd made the drinks in our kitchen, with our friends, tasting, and had developed something we thought was brilliant. But to scale it up into a physical product that you can sell, obviously in a store, you need someone to make that for you. So to find a manufacturer at a time when no one had put CBD in their factory before, and some of whom were quite reticent to do so, not knowing how it would impact their machinery or their liability insurance or whatever it might be, there's a lot of confusion out there. We literally, like, on Google, drinks manufacturer, rung them all up, people that would do sort of small enough runs. So anyone who's looking at launching a drinks company, one of the difficult things around um, cash in in the early days is you've often got to pay to produce your product up front before you've sold it and made money. So when you're looking to produce for the first time, you're often looking for someone that can make a smaller amount of your product because the big guys will require you to make 200,000 products in one go. And that's obviously a lot of cash and untested product. So I spoke to every single smaller scale manufacturer, met them all, pitched them, went in, you know, presenting what our vision and ambition was. And we're really lucky, got to work with some great partners who helped us scale this off the ground while retaining everything we wanted about the product in terms of the flavor and the experience. And I think if you were from the drinks industry and you look at our ingredients, there's so many in there, I think in hindsight, it would have been a lot simpler to choose something with sort of five ingredients, but equally you can't plan these things. Now that we've got so many ingredients and it's so complex and we've selected all these incredible functional botanicals as well as the CBDs. You've got ginseng, l-theanine, chamomile. It's also quite defendable because people look at that and think, gosh, that must be incredibly complicated to make. I'm not gonna go um, do the same thing. So comes back to your point and your question around the business plan and going with the flow a little bit and learning as you go. So Google is your friend, Network is your friend. There's a ton of people. I think the challenge of brand landscape in the UK is quite unique, something I learned and didn't know about before. There are so many young startup-y food and drink brands who are going through the same questions, the same challenges, trying to speak to the same buyers in the same stores. People are really collaborative and I'm super open about that. And if anyone listening or otherwise ever wants to chat or get on the phone around, how we did it and buyers names and things like that. I think it's really important to be open and pay it forward because you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, someone has looked at storage costs for a warehouse before and Mm. built a website before. So definitely that's something that you can lean on people you meet. It was harder perhaps in COVID when there were less of these physical networking in inverted commas or casual coffees, but reach out to people on LinkedIn. I think that was probably a COVID benefit to us, you know, we've listed in places like Sainsbury's and Ocado and we've never met the team. And people in the drinks industry and the food industry tell me, oh, have you been to this office and that office? But for us, it's all been online. And while that is challenging to pitch your vision and your passion on Zoom, everyone's on their phone, everyone's on the email, everyone's on LinkedIn. Just go have a look.
1: You can find them. Yeah,
2: definitely. And worst case, they didn't reply. Send another one, they didn't reply. You'll get there. Mm. Yeah.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: This season of They Star Stick with Angelica Malin is proudly sponsored by Thunderbean, a global investment and trading platform. Funderbeam serves 25,000 investors from 133 countries and has over 60 companies from Europe and Asia listed on the FundaBeam exchange. FundaBeam's marketplace operates 24-7, 365 days a year and has helped private companies raise more than 25 million euros in funding. Funderbeam is a female-founded business founded in 2013 by Kaidi Rousalep, a former CEO of Nasdaq Tallinn, who we'll be hearing from later on this series. If you'd like to explore the world of startups and growth companies, visit their website www.funderbean.com and give them a follow on social media at Funderbean. Thank you to our sponsors, Funderbean. Is there anything like cash wise that you spent money on that was a mistake and what were like the best things that you invested in, spent money on kind of in the early days? Mm, That's a
2: really interesting question. I think something that you kind of review with a lot of hindsight and I think having two and a half years in the business, I feel it's too early to, like, my gut feel there's never luckily been anything where I'm like, gosh, don't do, that. do what I did. Um, I think it's all about perspective. We definitely bootstrapped the business for the first um, year or so, and I think that was a really important discipline. There wasn't physical marketing activities, we couldn't sample people, you know, in the tube or whatever. So we very much doubled down on what we were doing in our own space at a time when a lot of the world was closed off. So in retrospect, perhaps it gave us more opportunity to be more focused such that we weren't saying yes to every sporting event or every um, sampling opportunity. We actually got to lean into just talking to who was engaging with us. We have this incredible online community through Instagram and our website and SMS where we ask people how they're doing, you know, have a conversation, um, hear about how and why they're using the products. And I think being able to really focus on that without spending necessarily on really big um, conferences or trade shows, that's often quite a large capital cost for a small company, but often positioned sometimes from what we heard as kind of the way to present to the Selfridges buyer or whatever, Mm. but actually cold emails and and LinkedIn, we had such an incredibly supportive response. So I would, we didn't end up spending loads on, on trade shows, but I would watch out for kind of big cash outlays for marketing perhaps that you can't row back from or track as smartly. The other thing which I think is a bit unusual, historically we couldn't advertise on Facebook, Google, Amazon, Instagram, because the legal position in the US where those companies are founded um, restricts CBD advertising. So we couldn't do any Facebook or Instagram advertising. It was all word of mouth and it was all organic, which actually I'm so thankful for because it meant we didn't spend any money just cheaply acquiring people and had genuine connections with people who were coming into the trip world. So I think it can be amazing to sort of plug that in when you're launching a brand to get brand awareness, but actually going back to the Mm. old-fashioned playbook around where are people, what are they doing, how do you connect with them, can be really helpful.
1: Yeah, and like when those channels are taken away from you as an option. Well, yeah, right now I think it's,
2: yeah, with all the changes in iOS, et cetera, I think it's been a really challenging time Mm. where people are realizing, more than ever, sort of an omnichannel approach where you can be in the real world as well as online, is helpful because that's how we live our lives. No one, not many people I know anyway, well, no one I know exists only in the physical world and is just not touching social or the internet, whether it's for personal or professional reasons. So I think being flexible is important, but at the same time, things like in lockdown one, we couldn't fulfill from our warehouse quick enough. There weren't enough people So we launched onto Deliveroo. We have this sort of trip store, dark kitchens all over um, the UK, where if you're feeling stressed or thirsty, you can get your trip in 15 minutes. And actually, that was something that we were really excited about in lockdown one because it was going to where people were, which was their home. And rather than just relying on clicks and digital advertising, being reactive and flexible, particularly in the pandemic, which has been such a period of flux and uncertainty, having a really strict business plan or anything really, you have to be very open-minded to the changes we're all going through, personally and professionally.
1: Mm. and we've all like become so accustomed to that ease of like delivery or oh my gosh and just just it, yeah yeah you want everything so quickly so if you it is delayed with delivery you just like you're like that feels like such a red flag now yeah. we're so like instant yeah. gratification the way we consume can you tell me a little bit about the Queen's shop story because i love <laughs> yeah. it i saw it on linkedin tell yeah. me a little bit about that and like how it impacted the business oh my gosh um so this was january last year i think it was january
2: literally so unexpected, waking up on a Saturday morning to our phones, buzzing. This story had dropped in the tabloids, which went viral, which, when I initially saw it, my heart was like, oh, my gosh, is this a bad thing? What does this mean? But I think that's a separate podcast around kind of social conditioning and thinking things are bad or good, when actually you just have to roll with the unexpected sometimes. Um, But this story came out in The Sun and the Daily Mail that the Queen, in her Windsor Castle shop, was selling cannabis. And and there was a huge picture of the Queen, a trip can, and a marijuana leaf on her. And it was something like the Queen's... I don't know, not doing drugs. It was something like high tea at Windsor or whatever. All these ridiculous puns. A lot of ridiculousness in the article. And you had no idea this was coming out? No idea, but it was as... Like, if I could have paid, I would have. It was written by, I don't even know who, An insider who works in the store had been spoken to by a journalist, and this insider had said that, yes, we stock Trip. it's flying off the shelves, people are buying seven or eight at a time, it's crazy. And there were these pictures of people queuing outside the shop. Bearing in mind this was, I don't know what lockdown, lockdown three, so there was like nothing to do except go to the shops, and people were queuing because it was Mm. like a lockdown, not for Trip, I'm sure, (laughs) Um, but it went completely viral because of the Queen. It got picked up and went sort of all around the globe. And like I said, initially, I was a little bit unsure, you know, should we comment? I mean, we didn't... I want to clarify that we didn't, like, position this story. But it was a real learning for me to kind of definitely take more from, from my husband, who's the eternal optimist, and the positive around it. But, you know, this is an incredible moment in time where people are loving the product and actually... People who are going in the Windsor Farm Shop, people assume this product's only for millennials and Gen Z, but actually the average consumer there's in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and this is an amazing thing that we're able to translate the fact that TRIP and CBD can support your well-being. And that is relevant for a 70-year-old so as much as it is for a 17-year-old. And often the older generation are reluctant to talk about plant-powered well-being, nor their mental stress. Mm. So that was great. And the sort of immediate impact was journalists, calls, I went on the news, um, our website completely exploded. Um, On Shopify, you have these maps and it shows where people are browsing your website and then just the whole globe. Like, honestly, like Fiji had like someone on the website. It was totally crazy, a real pinch me moment. And I think digesting it over time, it's obviously hilarious and brilliant, to be honest. Thanks to the shop, sent them a message. Can we help? They were out of stock.
1: Just that's so amazing. Yeah, it's like power of press as well that you can do all these things, and then all it you know sometimes takes is one article, and just suddenly it can go everywhere. And that's like so beneficial. I think your question earlier about sort of what to spend your money on as well. A lot of people ask us
2: because we've had such amazing press, including that people ask us, should you buy PR? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very personal question for each brand to consider their budget and what it's for. Are you looking for PR for awareness or validation or? conversion and actually one thing i say a lot to people is you know what's the purpose that you're going for and is that money worth it but the best press is free and unplanned Mm. yeah yeah Yeah. it's actually something you can't really manufacture that
1: yeah the consumer
2: knows a bit as well i don't know if you find this in your work or your day-to-day life but when something's an advert you can feel it Mm. mm-hmm Yeah, consumers yeah. are savvy. Yeah, you need to, you, it, needs,
1: it needs to be a genuine story for yeah. sure. Like, and you need to remember that storytelling element as well. Like, just having a product is not. that's not a story. The story is like how it came about. Or yeah, why how you are feel. Why? Yeah, exactly. Totally. I wanted to ask a bit about partnerships because I think one of the amazing things that Trip's done is kind of getting it in all these really interesting places and doing collaborations. Mm. So you've had it in the Hoxton and Soho House, we yeah. mentioned, and the Ivy and Albright, and the delivery thing. Um, how do some of these partnerships, come about and how do you like create a successful partnership with other brands i think it's a really good question and something that people ask us a lot and i think what's been
2: really helpful for trip is building the concept and the genesis of the brand around ourselves and our friends and family in the sense that if you ha- if you're aligned with your target market i think that must make the job of any entrepreneur a lot easier and i can't imagine working in an environment where you don't consume that product or i don't know You're not your own. Yeah, or you work in a vegan company, you're not vegan, or you work for a pet company, you don't like dogs. I don't know, like, there are are these situations because people need jobs. But I think that has been really helpful to really organically just connect with people. We have a lot of people approach us. Um, It goes both ways, you know. I'm constantly, I have a channel on Slack with my brother-in-law, James, who has a marketing background um, from L'Oreal called, like, Cool Brand Stuff. And partnership-wise, I'll just send him, like, random things I've seen in the, in the world, whether it's taking photos when you're walking around Selfridges or Harrods or architecture, you know, constantly inspired by things out there that excite me around the broader vision of, of Trip as a lifestyle brand. It's not just where are you when you're thirsty. It's, it's, it's more than that. And then things and places that you experience or find out about through your own friends or the wider network, whether you're on TikTok or social, and you see things that kind of trigger ideas. Um, So that's how it evolves from our side. Um, I think the helpful thing, as well as having a ton of really fortunate inbound requests and and questions, the best things are those really authentic, genuine conversations where someone might've, I don't know, had a trip product at an Equinox gym after a class or after an activation of some sort, they then see you again. Um, You might meet this person, and. You just have a genuine conversation about resonance with each other's brands or products i think that's the most powerful way because it's more authentic for both your audiences so everyone can get genuinely excited about something that aligns Mm -hmm. um yeah i think it's a huge opportunity and i think we're really lucky at trip i think cbd for those that don't know because it can help your mind and body and we've got the drinks and the tinctures and other products we're sold in hotel groups restaurants gyms grocery stores, lunch places like Leon, office buildings. There's so many different moments which you can connect with your community and maybe consider a partnership to help tell that story. Perhaps if you were a more streamlined product, it'd probably be more focused, to be fair. If you were like, just gym-focused, recovery, energy, workout, rest, I don't know, performance, you'd probably have a really clear idea of like which partnerships would work for you. But I think the arguably double-edged sword but how I see it the opportunity is we could partner with anyone Mm. and that means the conversations can be quite free-flowing and organic it might be that you know queuing for I don't know a taxi at the airport get speaking to someone you realize actually taxis would be an amazing place to have a trip can in every chauffeured car for London fashion week and then you meet someone who's involved in fashion week or with a brand and, and you start talking about it or someone complains that um transport's the hardest thing when you're rushing around a fashion week and, and these things kind of evolve through use um and the world is small some if you're open-minded and now that we're able to be out and about a little bit more it's amazing how many people you meet who know someone who knows someone so ask your friends if you if you want to meet the brand.
1: So I want to talk a little bit about mindset and kind of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Can you tell me a bit about in your own journey, like how have you stepped into that role as a co-founder of a business and bringing this kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Was it something you felt like was always inside of you? Or has it been quite like the journey to kind of feel confident in that role? Yeah, I think everyone's on a journey
2: and I'm definitely learning as I go. I didn't grow up with an entrepreneurial spirit as such. I think I've always been independent in some respect but actually incredibly privileged in terms of the education and access i've had and the people around me to support the decisions i've made so this wasn't part of the plan and it's not i definitely have an incredible amount of um, imposter syndrome which is ridiculous i guess it's because even if you have been doing this for a while and even hearing myself earlier when i said i'm not from the drinks industry i keep having to stop myself because i've now been in the industry for several years and, you know, helmed an amazing drinks company, it's time to kind of even own that. Like, it's ridiculous how much Mm. I sort of say, oh, I'm I'm not from this world, so I don't know. It's like, well, we're creating the world. Come on in. Like, share what you know. Um, So I think it's a constant journey for everyone, professionally and, and personally, whether you're an entrepreneur or you work in a big corporate. I think the way the world has shifted, particularly over the last two years, but wider kind of conversations, whether it's around mental well-being, or kind of career development or balance or whatever it might be for someone, it's constantly changing. And I think that impacts how you might feel in your journey for sure. I think that it's been an amazing experience so far. I think I couldn't have done it without a co-founder and amazing founding team in the sense that, not that I couldn't have physically got it done, but being able to stress test with each other with people you trust, to challenge your ideas, to challenge your ways of thinking, Mm -hmm. I think really accelerates your success or your failure. And if you fail quicker on an idea or a campaign, you can rectify and readjust more quickly. Um, But I think that for anyone looking at becoming an entrepreneur, it comes down for me personally to passion and experience. You don't have to have the experience of this before it's not rocket science. Anyone can figure it out. If you're the consumer, you'll build, you'll get feedback. You just need to be reactive and open-minded to if your idea needs tweaking or if your concept needs shifting. Um, but I'd say that, yeah, anyone, anytime can, can enjoy that aspect of being an entrepreneur, whether it's what they call the side hustle or even aspects of, of people's current roles. There's elements of entrepreneurship and the freedom that brings without committing all the way for for many people, Um,
1: yeah. What what do you think makes a really successful co-founder relationship? Obviously, when it's the business with your husband, which again is its own kind of unique dynamic, but what's what's made it work? I think knowing each other inside out, we got married three years ago, we
2: I, we met, I was 18 when we got together, so um, 13 years, very long time. Knowing each other, having grown together, I think it's particularly helpful if you have a slightly different skill set in the sense or experience that you might feel you can lean into more. It helps because if both of you want the, fi- want the final say or have a strong opinion on the brand or the copy or the, I don't know, the distribution plan, it can slow things down. It's actually quicker if you can lean into a personal preference or personal experience or skill set that the other one doesn't have, and that means that you're stronger together. Um, So knowing each other really well, open, honest communication, even if you're not married, I think that's critical. Um, And then I think for other family situations or where co-founders are friends and not family, I think what's probably really important is boundaries. So I'm not gonna text you at 11 p.m. on a Saturday about a work thing. In a couple, it's different. We talk about it all the time because we just have so much fun um, and traveling for for work and pleasure. Like we're going to Coachella. We decided last night, we're going to Coachella in a few days for an activation that we're doing with Soho House in the desert. I'm like, that's really full on and we're gonna have to work really hard to make it happen. Pretty much once in a lifetime opportunity. That's kind of insane. So if you weren't in a relationship and sort of living and breathing it at home, I would say boundaries would actually be healthy for sure. Mm -hmm to give yourself space to kind of reset mentally um in different times of work whether that's the traditional weekend or or other times
1: if you were to go back to the start of your journey and kind of look at things and give yourself some advice for the kind of few years that follow what would you tell yourself keep having fun um sometimes i have to remind myself
2: how much fun it is and i think you quite quickly when things are traditionally Brought you in an environment, I guess, where you're either a high performer or a high achiever, the wins and the adrenaline get so high that you are constantly onto the next thing. And kind of while we'll plan celebrations and um, time together, I think even this conversation now, I, my mind is going through all the things from whether it's the last two weeks to the last two years. And it's overwhelming how incredible a journey it's been helping all these people while work getting to work with my best friends every day changing the way people feel like trying to encourage myself to feel that fully
0: mm.
2: i think would be important i think with the pandemic it constantly felt like but it could all go away what if all those channels closed down tomorrow but trying to remove some of that fear which i think we probably all feel differently in hindsight with the pandemic but it was very real and still is a very real life or death experience for a lot of people trying to Yeah, full body have fun, not have fun, already having fun, but this is something special. It's like, like, I think it's it.
1: presentness as well yeah. I think it's that feeling of like let's actually take a moment yeah. because it's so easy to be chasing the next high, to the next thing and to be really hard on yourself when stuff doesn't go right and yet we're not very present when things are good and there's that like low level constant anxiety of like well it could all disappear yeah, which I more, feel or, yeah. as well and it's, so it is hard to kind of root yourself in and be present for, what's, for like the success that's kind of in front of you mm. but it's something to be proud of and like changing how people feel is such an amazing thing it's such a privilege actually yeah. to do yeah Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. You've been the most incredible guest. We have <laughs> uh, some quick fire questions that I like to ask at the end of every episode, which I wrote very quickly this morning. Um, I hadn't had a coffee yet or a CBD, so they are a bit <laughs> random. But um, so spend or save? Spend. Hmm, interesting. Uh, pancakes, avocado, toast? Pancakes. It was a very quick yeah, answer. Like, like you knew that I that... love pancakes, yeah. It was a particular pancakes. passion. Just are always disappointing. I'm American sorry. ones.
2: You know, there's like fluffy ones. Not ones you can... I don't know how Do to make, make them myself. Home? Absolutely not. Yeah, no. you go up. Them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, downtime or night out? Oh, that's a really difficult one.
1: Night out. Uh, cocktail. With a bit of downtime before and then just... Right, like, so like a power nap. Yeah. A yeah. power nap and then a night yeah, out. Yeah, 20 minutes and then. I always have a danger nap where it's too close to the night out. <laughs> <laughs> I have to have a coffee. It's a nightmare. Uh, cocktail or CBD? CBD. Cocktail. Or CBD in the cocktail. CBD cocktail. CBD cocktail, mm. right. Uh, England or USA? England. But I did actually want to ask if we haven't mm. spoken about, which was getting stocked in Erewhon, which is like the oh, world's bonkers. most incredible supermarket. Have you been? I have been. Wow. It is a it is a, a whole other world. Incredible. It's the future. I spent twenty dollars on a probiotic yogurt. Money okay. well spent. <laughs> <No> Your <laughs> no body will
2: ha- like thank you for
1: sure. Uh TikTok or Instagram? TikTok.
2: Interesting. Why? It's the future. It's also so fun and so crazy and you don't need to think instagram is beautiful and an amazing way to connect with people and definitely one of the most powerful tools we have to talk to people in our community but i think the way that we're going to socialize and i mean the time i spent on TikTok, yeah it's just mind-boggling everything's got so quick now so quick it's all just short
1: form quick yeah like, like one second and then you're on to the next thing TikTok is the most addictive platform. It's frightening, yeah. You can literally lose hours. Yeah, it's fully addictive. That's, yeah, the future. Interesting. Um, So a question I like to ask every guest is, um, say you meet with a 16-year-old and you want to give them advice. It's 2022. You want to give them advice for the next five years. What would you tell them? I think that's really tricky. I think
2: I would definitely say, if they can, stay in school for those extra two years. After that, you don't need to have a huge plan. Things are unexpected and life throws up things that you can't plan for. But if you have that school, that'd be amazing. And sort of experience is worth so much. Be open, be kind. You're going to meet a ton of people, hopefully in your life, who are nothing like you. And being able to speak to them and empathize them is the most important thing you need to learn. To be kind and be kind with yourself, with your mind. You're going to be going through a really difficult time, if I think about being 16 and... That was even pre-TikTok or um, all sorts of things online that you can get that I did not have access to. So be kind to yourself, be kind to your friends and be open when you meet people who are nothing like you and you can't understand, but just be, be open and kind, basically, and you don't need to have a plan.
1: I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of They Star It with Angelica Malin. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to get new episodes delivered weekly and follow us on social media at Jelly Malin. If you benefited from this conversation, we'd love you to leave a review and rate the podcast so more people can find it. Today's podcast is brought to you live from Runway East, who are kindly sponsoring this series of They Star It with Angelica Malin. I'm recording today at their state-of-the-art studio on Old Compton Street in Soho, and honestly, what an incredible place. As well as podcast studios, Runway East offers office solutions to businesses of all kinds. They do flexible contracts and there's workspace options for everyone from big branded offices to flexi co-working space. If you're interested in joining a super trendy co-working space, they've got sites in London and Bristol with new ones opening later this year in Shoreditch and Whitechapel. Come here for cake Wednesdays and drinks trolleys on Fridays and stay for the free coffee. Give them a follow on social media at Runway East.
0: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments.